0: For me, it would be be the ultimate thing, is just to be able to make beautiful pieces of furniture and allow other people to make them as well.
1: That's the voice of Sam Hunt, owner of Cordova Woodworking. And I'm excited to talk with him right after a quick word from our sponsor. Hey everyone, what do you know about Shaper Tools? Specifically, the Shaper Origin. As a listener to this show, you can try a Shaper Origin risk-free for 30 days in your own shop. That's right, in your own shop. Just by visiting shapertools.com forward slash furniture brand to learn more. The handheld CNC router that has brought digital precision and efficiency of workflow to so many people is yours to try risk-free. Use it to tackle your joinery, your cabinetry, your hardware installations, and more, with speed, precision, and the reliability your business needs. If you wanna learn more, or to give it a risk-free 30-day try, just visit shapertools.com forward slash furniture brand, or check the link in the show notes. And now, on with the episode. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Sam Hunt, owner of the Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada-based furniture company, Cordova Woodworking. Before owning a furniture company, Sam owned a business that lived completely in the digital space. That, compared to woodworking, are professions that, on the face of it, seem complete opposites. But as you dig deeper, you see that there are more and more similarities in the way Sam approaches both. And you can also see that there are core lessons anyone in any business can use. Lessons like knowing your customer, striking while the iron's hot, and taking time to understand your company instead of just rushing in blindly. Follow along as we talk about building your design skills, keeping your brand consistent, shrinking your startup costs, and much more. So let's get into it, and hear Sam's story in his own words. My dad was a furniture maker. It's kind of the,
0: the classic store I spent, you know, you can see pictures of me as a kid on his wood shop floor. I never really made anything. I, there's some funny photos of me tacking together a spaceship out of plywood or something like that. But like, I didn't actually ever do wood shop in, in high school or anything like that. Kind of mid-20s, I just wanted to make something. The interest came up and I, I made a, a Live Edge coffee table. My friend's dad helped me with that. I thought like the Live Edge stuff was like super cool. It's It's got so much character. But then I found out about more modern furniture, kind of minimal stuff. And in, I think about 2017, I made my first couple kind of real projects where I bought my own tools. I made a dining table. Just wanted to get into it, and that was pretty nice out of walnut, and then a bench with the offcuts. At that point, it was really just a hobby. At the time, I had I, I co-owned an online advertising company, and we owned that for about five years, and kind of got burnt out of it, and it was it was fizzling out. So I, I was looking for a career change. I didn't I didn't like online advertising by the end of it, and I found out about industrial design and product design. And I was always really good at drawing and sketching. So not really on a technical, technical side, I was just pretty good at drawing portraits, realism and design, sketching. It was always something that interests me. I just didn't really have that skill of, of drawing and designing in 3D. So we became very interested in it. I decided that I wanted to make a career change. And I went back to school for about a year. I crammed two programs that kind of coincided into one year. So I, I learned the technical side of, of design. So a lot of programs in CAD, a lot of sketching, learning how to draw in perspective, come up with ideas, a lot of like design kind of communication. I didn't do more of like the soft stuff in theory. I was, I was fairly convinced that the technical skills were going to be the most valuable. Um, in a, in a career in trying to get into the workforce as like a product designer, but once I finished the program, I just I, I think I lost interest in being like a product designer. I didn't you, you kind of learn a little bit more about industrial design and it's making mass manufacture. You're designing for mass manufacturing, which wasn't as appealing to me. And you know, I already kind of got into making stuff with my own hands, and you know, I already knew how fulfilling and amazing that was. So I jumped into being a furniture maker, I got a membership at a local shared wood shop. It's called a, like a maker, it's like a maker space. So in Vancouver there's this place called Maker Labs. And um you can get a membership and then you can get a studio. You can take courses to learn how to use different machines, get access to different machines. It's a pretty amazing space. There's people are doing all sorts of stuff there from you know textiles, 3D printing, laser cutting, CNC, making Furniture, there's cabinets, making anything really. And it's been really valuable to getting a start. I found out about like small batch production for woodworking. So I I kind of had this business background, entrepreneurial background. And then, you know, I liked making furniture already just for myself. And the small batch production stuff was pretty appealing. I'm like, oh, okay, like there's this business side of it and there's this production and operational and you can become efficient and learn how to I mean, figure out how to run a business and maybe not really compete with big box stores, but you can get some scale where you can come up with a line and, and, and sell a small collection. And that was a bit of a naive thought and retrospect it's, it's like incredibly difficult to do that from a manufacturing standpoint. and, from a, a design standpoint you you know your your designs need to be unique enough that people are going to pay a, at least a premium for uh your skills need to be good enough that you can make an amazing piece of furniture and then your designs also need to be done in a way that you can make them in a reasonable time frame where they they're not costing an extreme price so that was that was in, that was <laughs> that was a, a quick well maybe not so quick learning curve i've, I've tried to do it multiple times and it's It's very difficult. So the road has been interesting.
1: Around the last 50 years, there's been a a major switch in the way people have businesses. And I'm talking about doing things digitally versus doing things with your hands, a trade that you're physically doing something in. And this is always a, a topic that I talk with people who are starting A furniture company about because people now are growing up in this digital age and they're using computers and that's how they're running a business. And they aren't really involved in that physical aspect of it, that actually building a physical product instead of a digital product. You had a completely digital company, your online advertising company, and then you went into actually building a physical product, building furniture. How did your mind have to switch from the way you ran one company that was totally digital to running another company that was mostly based in the physical world? It's a good question.
0: It's actually something I think about a lot, like this transition I made from having a company with an unbelievable amount of scale on the internet to something that is, I mean, probably the most extreme opposite end would be, would be furniture making, making furniture by hand. And, you know, it's been a challenge. I did that online advertising stuff for five years and I I got used to how that type of business operated and making the switch, I think, thinking on it, I'm like, how did I do this? Uh, (laughs) How did I go from this thing that was, you know, I just sat in front of my laptop, sending emails and push notifications driving traffic to, to websites, to milling up wood, cutting it down by hand and building, building furniture by myself. And I think it's just that I've always kind of made stuff when I needed something new for my apartment or if I needed something, anything really. It's just like, I'm like, oh, I can make that. I just always popped in my mind, I, I can make that. So I think that was the transition. It was just like kind of how I was wired and yeah, I I just kind of rolled with it. It felt natural to me. Not that the the online advertising working digitally felt unnatural. It was just that's that's just that's where the gravity was, and that's how I, I I think the switch was just. I don't. It definitely wasn't forced, but it happened without me really thinking about it.
1: We're also at a point, and I say we as in furniture makers and furniture business owners at a point where. You need to be juggling both of those things, your actual building, your actual physical furniture and your digital footprint, because both of those things together are the only way you can really stand out in this incredibly saturated world of furniture. Yes, there is enough room for a lot of people because everybody needs furniture and everybody needs a different style of furniture. but You also need to be able to differentiate yourself, and the way you do that is through your online presence and your social media, both things that you've done well in. When you started, what did you take from your digital life and bring to your furniture company to put it out into the world and to start getting business? starting a
0: furniture business, especially like fine furniture, the road was a lot longer than I expected. Um, And I I consider myself a furniture designer as well. So being kind of a creative, a business owner, and a craftsperson all in one was, you know, definitely a lot more challenging than I thought it would be. You know, I've definitely sold a, a fair amount of products over the last three years since this has started. But I think only recently I really realized, like, you know, my products are not really recently realized, but I'm I'm totally confident in my skills and and finding my voice as a designer. And it's kind of all coming together now where I feel like my pieces are excellent. And that's really like it's kind of like the bare minimum in this game is that you have to produce something that's really like factory fresh. And and then from there, I guess you can stand out. You can figure out a way to stand out, which is, it's been, you know, on social media maybe a little faster than I expected. So the, the story behind that is that I was making furniture. I would post some like, you know, fun things on my Instagram story and partway through the pandemic or something, my partner Catherine kind of got interested in TikTok. So she was just doing this like, for her own just figuring out what TikTok was all about and then she took some of my videos from from the stories and started making some some TikToks and they got like, quite a bit of attention I think like within a few weeks we had uh, you know like 20,000 followers on TikTok and I was like oh wow that's interesting not a ton of business came through it right away but you're not going to ignore it and you know that was that was definitely one thing I I knew from my past experience in advertising, like, ironically enough, I was like I was in influencer marketing. Like that was my that was who my company was doing. We were, were helping advertisers connect with influencers, basically. So I knew that when something was working, like in social media, like you have to strike with the iron's hot, for lack of a better term. Like it's going to change quickly. You often have a small window to take advantage of whatever the social media company is doing to grow quickly or get a lot of attention. So I talked to my, like, former business partner about what was going on. And, you know, I always take his advice. He's pretty pretty good at business. And he's just like, I think you should just, like, hit this hard. We'd made as much content as we could in a short amount of time. And it, it's been pretty steady. And then Catherine was like, you should do reels. So we started doing reels. And, you know, it was like tens of thousands of followers in the last year or so, which has been it's really good. So, yeah, it's just like. When things are going good on that, just take advantage of it because it probably will end. Something will change or I don't think the interest will change, but, you know, new products come out and they compete with what, what you've been doing or new ways of doing the formats that you've been doing. You have to kind of adapt or figure out how to make your presence stand out once again. So just kind of riding the waves and, and taking advantage of, of what's working and understanding what
1: will work. I want to pick up on something that you said in the beginning of that answer, and that was that you feel like you're a furniture designer, and that's how you feel, and that's what you went to school for and where you saw yourself going into industrial design before you started going into furniture. Have you thought at any point while building this company that maybe you just want to be a furniture designer and get these pieces built by somebody else, or is it important for you to actually be involved in the process and building it yourself? You were talking about scale and how hard it is to scale, and it would be tremendously hard for you to scale your furniture business as a one person shop and even growing a little bit at a time. It's hard to scale that way, but it's easier to scale as a furniture designer putting your designs out there and having them built by somebody else is that ever a argument in your head about which way you should go
0: I would say it's like 5050 so I, I definitely consider like they're congruous
1: I want to be a designer
0: and a craftsperson at the same time I love designing furniture. I love prototyping that's that's definitely the most fulfilling and least stressful part of the job you know there's no kind of client expectations you can you can do things faster and you can allow for mistakes that you know you would you wouldn't otherwise be able to yeah i think where i'm at now with the whole designer <laughs> craftsperson production battle is that i'm I'm okay with it not having scale i think where like you know the more entrepreneurial side of me says where where the answer is is selling woodworking plans and i've come up with one so that world for me, what that looks like is I get to design my own pieces of furniture. Uh, I get to prototype, make them, photograph them, feel good about them. And then I can document how to make them. And, you know, that, that has unlimited scale. You're selling a, a, a digital product. That's, for me, would be, would be the ultimate thing, is just to be able to make beautiful pieces of furniture and allow other people to make them as well. I I love making furniture for clients, but with the nature of it, you're often kind of put in a box or whatever you're making. Somebody wants something specific that looks like X, Y, or Z, and you have to make that. So being able to come up with my own designs, build them the way how I think would be appealing for a furniture maker, another furniture maker, for myself, or just customers in general, is, you know, that's extremely attractive avenue for me.
1: I want to get back to the furniture plans because I think that that is a a very interesting offshoot of your business and furniture businesses in general. But I want to go down a little bit more this road about custom that you started talking about because you said, and it's true that custom work gets harder. Everything gets harder when you start involving a client and What their hopes and dreams are, and trying to capture that and put it into a piece of furniture. And it becomes harder on the design and also the building because you're going from building something that's repeatable to building one off custom pieces. You take customizations of your collection, the pieces of furniture that you build regularly, and you also take custom work in general. Where do you draw the line? for the customizations and the custom work? Are you saying, I do custom work, but it's only furniture? And it's only in the style that I am showcasing on my website? Or is your custom work anything that the client can think of? Is it kitchens? Is it upholstery? Is it epoxy? Is it everything under the sun? Where do you draw the line for your custom work?
0: Yeah, it's pretty tricky. I I only... I've taken commissions for freestanding furniture. It's going to be, you know, kind of my flavor of design. So modern, minimal, maybe some mid-century kind of taste into it. I haven't done, you know, it's it's hard to, it's, it's as you know, it's really challenging to be profitable on a lot of custom pieces. I know it can be better for stuff like built-ins, which I'm, I think like my mind is becoming a little more open to, but, Yeah, where where I draw the line is I I do like freestyling furniture. I I don't do replicas when people come and say, I saw this on Pinterest, can you make this? I'll I'll tell them I can make something, you know, similar in spirit and form is typically what I'll say. But I'd like to at least find my voice through each piece. And and that's important to me. And, you know, without that, I don't think, you know, my skills will ever evolve and, and furniture, if everyone was just making the same thing over and over again, furniture design wouldn't evolve. So that's that's important to me and yeah as far as my collection like everything my collection pieces they're they're customizable by size
1: when you're dealing with clients somebody reaches out to you they call you or text you or email you or they walk into your shop and they say hey i like what you do i want a piece of furniture from you what does that process look like? What does it look like from somebody buying one of your pieces of furniture that's in your collection? Because everything is made to order, you're not stocking anything. So it's made to order when they order it right then. And also, what does it look like if somebody wants something custom? How do you go about talking through the process of creating a piece of furniture for a client?
0: Well, typically, the smaller pieces on my website, Made for smaller homes, so they're not a, they're not a crazy high point price point, and people will just buy them. I'll just get an order, and I'll email them and say, "Hey, this is kind of how long it's going to take right now," or if 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 the lead time's not listed, or they'll just send a, sh- a quick text message or email asking asking the lead time, and then I can get started on that project. For the custom stuff, you know, they it's, <laughs> it's it's always comes in a different form from the client or a customer. They'll say, "Can you make this?" I'll ask. You know, can you can you show me more photos? I've kind of gotten really to the stage where as far as like, you know, it's always a challenging thing with freestanding furniture about the price. It's it's just often that people, you know, furniture at, let's say a store like something like West Elm, you know, it's not it's not inexpensive by any means at a store like that. But once they find out the price that for something that's custom, it's it's often like, oh, that's it's not really within my budget, which is totally fine. But I, I just try to approach that like as honestly and as quickly as I can. I'll either ask what's your budget for something like this, or I'll give like a pretty broad range of what where the cost can land and that can kind of can kind of help both of us understand if this is something that's gonna be possible because I do like to come up with really detailed quotes. And that takes it takes a significant amount of time. You know, I'd like to have a line item for each thing from, you know, hardware to material, daily overhead, shop rate, et cetera. And I think the honesty is important. It helps them understand where this price comes from. It's not just some some random number that I think this piece is worth. And that's how I've been approaching it lately. It's kind of, I don't really know if it's, working or not, but I'd like to see it through.
1: I really see two camps on pricing and how you're you're giving that pricing to your client. One is you give a price and take it or leave it. And the other is like you just described, where you give each and every line item for that price and you go into detail and you explain Exactly what you're doing and how long that's going to take. Let's talk about that because that's what you have the most experience in. How are you coming up with these prices and how are you giving it to the client so they can see it clearly and understand exactly what you're putting into this?
0: Yeah. So when I was getting started out, like I I didn't have, I just kind of looked at stuff online and figured I could try and have a small premium over what I thought was expensive furniture, which was a horrible way to get into this. You know, there's definitely been, I feel like there's been like the, the creative side of me and the business side of me that have been like taking over one another, like devil angel on each side of my shoulder where the, you know, the creative side really just wants to build and make stuff and forgets about making money. And then the business side is like, this isn't possible. You need to charge more. So trying to figure out a way where they can both get along and i'm getting close to that point after a few years of doing it and yeah the pricing how do i do it so you know right now i don't actually mark up my material costs i will soon but i i still feel like i need to maybe complete my portfolio a little more dial it in a little more also on the west coast like our our material costs i think are significantly higher than you guys out east just at least hardwood since that's where it comes from so you know i have to keep the price in mind and i'm okay with doing that at the moment my hourly rate is is basically you know the end of all of it it's pretty much going to be kind of like my profit after all the material costs and i also bake in my overhead in that so once I, get, I break down my overhead basically per month and then if I depending on the project I'll include it by hour or by 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 day by week depending on how I'm making the quote. my shop rate is 40 an hour and that's baked in my overhead my overhead's actually relatively low because I work in a shared workshop and that that does help it has helped getting things started I think my shop rate will go up in the near future but at the end of the day like my focus on the last few years has been getting projects that i want to make build up portfolio build up my skills and you know become excellent at the craft so the rate is a little lower than than i expect it to be in the future and i also think you know i think it's reasonable to to price a bit lower like it, it has gone up but priced low at the beginning you're learning to to make fine or high end furniture you're you're going to be doing things a little slower than you should and i don't think it's really fair to a customer to be you know charging a typical market rate when you're taking longer than your competition so i am mindful of that
1: how has the customer feedback been for these detailed line item quotes do people like it do they say oh that's where the money's going or have you gotten a lot of response where I don't need all that information? I'll just give you the money. You give me the furniture.
0: Depending on who the client is, like I, I may or may not do this. You know, sometimes you you get clients that understand this process when they come at you for a custom request. With they immediately say, "I have a budget," and they ask, "How long is this going to take?" That's a pretty good indicator that they've done this type of thing before, or that you know the price isn't super important to them they just want a unique piece of furniture that's important or yeah they just have experience doing this before and they understand that it's it's going to be expensive but doing the individual line item thing is fairly new to me i just try to kind of you know unveil the costs to the customers and not necessarily like educate them but give them some understanding and trust that the number i come up with is is, is well thought out you know, and also, I think for me, it's gonna help me gauge whether is this project feasible or not? And you know, I've had I've had projects, I think any any woodworker, professional woodworker has where they like by the end of it delivering to the customer, they're like, I, I haven't made enough money on this, even though the price was, you know, reasonably high. So it, it's important for me to do it from for for my bottom line as well.
1: A lot of the first costs when people are starting their own furniture business is the space is their shop is where they're going to work in. And that is where a big chunk of the investment goes in the beginning. And also a lot of the cost per month goes into that shop overhead. You're renting a space in a larger Woodshop in a in a maker space in a collective space. Let's talk a little bit about that and the pros and cons of doing that versus having your own space.
0: So there's a lot of pros. There's no doubt. Uh, the the cons kind of weigh on you day to day on the more on the efficiency side. But yeah, the pros are. I mean, everything's in place. We've got a couple nice saw stop machines. We've got Powermatic milling tools. Plenty of workbench space it's open from you know noon till 9 p.m for typical you know members there's different tiers of memberships so you can have earlier access like that's definitely nice for you know serious hobbyists or business owners like myself is we can come in those early hours and the the whole space is empty so you essentially have a private workshop with just a couple other people and um yeah that that can be quite good but i mean without a doubt the cost side of things getting started it wouldn't be possible for me without maker labs in vancouver to have got this going in in such an expensive city the the space just itself like the little geographic footprint is scarce enough as it is for for this kind of thing so it's been a, a tremendous benefit yeah and then the cons are you know you don't with, with furniture making, even the custom side, you need every bit of efficiency as you possibly can. And even if you're doing small batch production, then it's like it's critical. And working in you know a shared wood shop, I don't really necessarily think other people get in your way. That's, that's not really the issue. Everyone's like pretty mindful and respectful of what everyone else is trying to do. But the fact that your machines aren't, you know set up in a production environment, the layout's not designed for what you're trying to manufacture, it slows things way down. Whether it's a little thing I have to put a bandsaw blade on every single time I turn the bandsaw on, you know, that, that adds a lot of time. and It's it's challenging. I've gotten pretty good at making my studio mobile, so everything's on wheels. And, you know, I've got a cart with my critical tools on it that will bring out into the shop space. So I've got all... all all the things that I need that I don't have to run back to my studio for. So you do have to kind of adapt. And there's that, that sacrifice of, of how do I manage this business in a, in a space that is not designed for production. You have to get a little bit creative soon enough. I'm going to have my own shop. It's something I'm working on right now. And I think I'll be right. I'm hoping that I'm really efficient because of all of this, these little adaptations I've, I've had to make, and I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to having a, a dedicated space. But yeah, the the makerspace whole scene is is really cool. They've got just like a tool for everything in this place, which is like, a huge benefit. You know, I think that actually is one of the more interesting things. Is okay, yes, we the space is amazing. Having the bigger machines and not having to have that spend all that capital that, that's like that's a like obvious benefit. But all the little things like these little wrenches, these, these different, you know, screwdrivers, different, just these little things that you don't have to spend your money on. You don't have to spend the time to go to Home Depot to get this one thing for this one project is is pretty nice. That that can make things go a lot smoother. So,
1: Looking over your furniture collection as a fellow furniture maker and seeing the amount of pieces in your collection that have legs and knowing the type of precision you need to make furniture with legs and make it work as opposed to kitchen cabinets or something that has a more serious base. Thinking about the stress that it would cause me to be in a shared space and have to rework the machines every single time, I, I can imagine all the pluses and how great it is not to have that that overhead and that initial investment. But I can also imagine it being a little stressful for you at times when you need to tune everything up to work exactly like you need it to.
0: Yeah. It <laughs> no, yeah, it's it's definitely really nice to hear another woodworker understand what what, what I what I go through after explaining that. But yeah, it's I, I feel like I've I've kind of figured it out, at least in the space. I'm in and and how to manage it and how to expect how to expect things to go I think I think I've gotten efficient at setting things up in a reasonable time frame but then also I've caught myself most recently is like once I'm ready in production is like hey slow down like you gotta you gotta focus here you only have so much material you want to keep you want to keep things smooth so you don't have to do this whole setup over again if you end up having a defect and you know I think that's going to become more natural in the rest of my work I've noticed that working faster doesn't mean you're always going to get to the finish line faster I think the name of the game large part in in making fine furniture or or higher end pieces is taking your time and getting things right and avoiding you know avoiding mistakes mistakes are going to happen in every single project but there's, there's definitely some some challenges in working in the shared environment
1: It really goes back to what we talked about in the beginning, the the difference between a digital job and a physical job, the physical aspect of building furniture. You can't just open up your laptop and do this anywhere you feel like it. You can't build furniture on vacation. You can't build furniture on a train. You need a specific place and you need everything dialed in and you need to have that home base and everything set up the right way to make the quality furniture that people are buying. Now, going back to the conversation we were having about furniture plans, that's kind of your middle ground between the the physical building of the furniture and the digital aspect of being able to do it anywhere. And I want to talk more about that because. It's a very interesting business model because there is unlimited potential in it. You can sell that over and over and over again, and you can scale that. And that's how you can make a lot of money. But it is a brand dilution. And that is such a tricky situation that furniture makers find themselves in in this day and age because especially for people who want to make high-end furniture because there is that desire to to have a high-end furniture brand, but you also need to put yourself out there on social media sometimes do things that don't necessarily look and feel like that high-end brand. And so there is that interplay of how do you keep your brand message the same. It is a very hard thing to achieve, to be on these less formal platforms like social media, but also keep your brand elevated to where you want it to be?
0: I think there's a world that they can coexist. My thoughts on that are I need to really double down on making like high-end content. The TikTok and Reels and stuff, they get a lot of attention. And that's I think that's a really good thing. Maybe we can produce them in a way that's also better quality production. It's not just kind of iPhone stuff, but for, from my experience and what I'm, I'm coming to now is do you really have to go all in on this business. You know, I think if you're trying to sell physical product, like physical furniture, your, your photos need to be as good as your product. That's what your customers are buying at the end of the day is what they, they see on your website. They see on your Instagram, they have to trust that that's exactly what they're going to get. So I think what, like developing the house I've started to do more recently is getting professional photos that's going to communicate to the, the buyers of the furniture. This is what I can produce for you. And then also there's going to be this other Avenue for woodworkers, which maybe will be on a different website with furniture plans. And, you know, I'm, it's, it's not a, it's not a huge business. Maybe that's interesting for some furniture buyers. Oh, this, this person also educates people on how to make, you know beautiful furniture designs you know i think it's more of the that entrepreneurial fire in me that says like making woodworking plans is a, is a really good business there's definitely like the gravity there i don't think i'll ever i don't think i'll ever stop making you know the the ultimate like kind of rock star dream for me is to have a collection and a small shop with a number of employees where i can I can produce beautiful pieces and do a few a few custom pieces a year, but I think a lot of people have tried this profession or are doing it. They understand that they need a little bit of extra income to supplement it. And the woodworking plans, I think right now are a good, a good way to do that. And on the business side, I, I look at the woodworking plans and I think, you know, I see a few people out there doing a really good job at it. So the designs need to be, interesting enough and unique enough that they're going to turn heads, but they also have to be simple enough that your typical week weekend warrior can make with a, with a regular set of home shop tools. And that's a really, that's a challenging, from where I stand, that's a challenging product to make. So therefore I think it's worthwhile making because it's and producing because it's going to be difficult for anyone to do this. And then on top of that also create a quality piece of education that people are gonna to talk to their friends about. And you know, I, I think where I lie with this is like, I, I don't really see it as cannibalizing my sales from, from my collection. I, I don't think I actually wanna be selling plans for my collection. I think my collection and my custom pieces are gonna be more complicated than what's gonna be available for plans in the future. Maybe I'm naive, but I, I'm not worried about losing sales because typically customers for my pieces like I, it's very rare there they are woodworkers I think a lot of the social media following is woodworkers which makes the whole developing plans a little more enticing but yeah I, I, do, I don't really see them as competing with each other um, sales wise the plans versus the collection for
1: that reason I think, I think they're just two different customers As you continue to build furniture, you want to get out of that shared space. You want to have your own shop. You want to have your own employees. You want to have a bigger piece of this thing we call the furniture business and really put your own stamp on it. What have you been doing to put that into place besides just the the building? On the business side, what plans are you making to make this dream a reality? So the first one is I'm uh, moving. Uh, I'm moving away from Vancouver
0: back to my hometown where I grew up. And I'm in talks with a guy with a space there. It's going to need some work, but I'm, I'm hoping to work that out. And yeah, I, I don't want to talk too much about it. I don't want to get my hopes up because it, we haven't like signed anything or shaken hands. But I, I'm pretty confident it's going to happen. So that's the first one, is, is, is getting space. And I think there's a reasonable chance that's that's going to happen in the coming weeks. And then putting things in place. You know, I've got a spreadsheet of the machines that I need. For for certain things I'll buy on Marketplace, I'm definitely like a Facebook Marketplace junkie. Being in the city for Marketplace is, is huge. There's always stuff for sale and, and good, good quality stuff. But, you know, the bigger machines, I'm not necessarily going to want to buy used i i want these to be running really well there's specific ones i want and i've got a big spreadsheet of exactly what i'm going to need and i hope to buy it from all from one 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 seller one one retail store just to be able to go in with a little bit of a little bit more negotiating power and that's kind of where i'm at and then i do monitor my spreadsheet when this and their their emails if if they're having sales on specific things and i'll slowly slowly building up my an arsenal of, of woodworking tools but you know taking on extra projects here and there that don't necessarily fit into what I would normally do just to, just to get that money ready to buy these things I want and I mean also like I'm like stoked on it like I, I, it's like a dream to have you know your own private space with the tools you want so knowing that I'm close to that is is pretty exciting.
1: There are people who want their own furniture company or people who already have a furniture company and want to do it better. So for those people, what some advice that you could share that has really worked for you to push your company forward and have it continue to be successful? It's from the outside. This business
0: looks so simple. You know you're just making a
1: product that everyone sees every single
0: day in their homes or on the, on the online but it's 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 an incredibly challenging thing to do the tools required the the time required the space required the skills required and um figuring out how to stand out it's, it's pretty challenging and then at the same time having a product convincing enough to sell at a premium that it's all worth it is it can be it can be a grind and takes a lot of sacrifice and uh, it's it's not always going to feel good, but so I started with learning, not really how to design furniture, but just getting some hard design skills like sketching and modeling, which has been really really useful. But I think that has made me, at least in the first year and a half to two years, more rigid than I than I had hoped. So on the design side, be okay with. Put an effort in. I think it's almost a skill in trying to be loose with your designs, and you know, the the more prolific you are in in sketching or experimenting, you're going to come up with something. You're going to get closer to finding your own voice, and that's been that's been important to me lately. Not being really afraid to be original, but at the same time, if you're trying to sell products, you can't be <laughs> you can't be so original. You have you have to come up with something that will sell. So. You know, trying to, under, try to figure out that balance. And a good way to do that, I think, is is try to be prolific. So the more ideas, the better, because you'll come up with at least one good thing for, for different products. And then as far as making furniture, if you're just starting out and you, you want to make, you know, it's just, I can guess I'll have to speak from my own experience, kind of more higher end modern pieces is... Go through the process of making something like a prototype fairly quickly, and then you can understand where things are going to go wrong. And once you're going to go into a production piece for the first time, do it slow, do it right, and, and then you'll really understand where you can get some efficiencies in the future. This is more from like a production standpoint. But yeah, I would say dabble in a few different types of designs, you know, maybe I, my ultimate dream i think when i when i started making furniture was to be a chairmaker that's a really difficult thing to do as a business owner is, is making chairs and i'd still like to get there that's it's still something i'm i'm working on to this day but make multiple different pieces i don't necessarily think you have to do different styles you have to go from shaker to to modern to you know super minimal but do build different pieces whether it's cabinets, freestanding cabinets, whether it's a coffee table, a dining table. It's important to become multifaceted, understand what the wood's going to do in each of these instances. And the more you can kind of build your your tool belt,
1: your skills, you're you're going to become a lot more proficient at the craft. Very solid advice. And I want to thank you for sharing it and thank you for sitting down with me and Talking through your business so far, and I wish you nothing but success in the future. Thanks, Ethan. Yeah, I really appreciate you. It's been, it's been a really nice conversation, and right I wish you all the best. Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at TheBuildWithEthan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Amoson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.